Please, Spock, do me a favor and don't say it's fascinating. No. But it is interesting. I know something you don't know. Shut up, dummy. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for another episode of Storytime. Today we're talking about television, one of my favorite topics. I love TV, and so I've got lots to say about television. Now, people talk about the golden age of television as the 50s, when it first really started catching on across the country. There was television in the 30s and the 40s, but it was really only becoming a real big thing in the 50s when the networks formed and I Love Lucy came around. And yes, I'm not that old. I wasn't there when I Love Lucy came around. It looks like it, but I wasn't. I swear to God. I watched a lot of I Love Lucy in rerun thanks to syndication, which is one of the things we're going to talk about. But for me, the golden age of television was my golden age of television when I was growing up. Television caught my imagination. It was everywhere. It was the thing that we focused on. Now, these days... It's very different. When I was growing up, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, and I've talked about this on the stream. Essentially, when I grew up, there were three major networks. There was ABC, CBS, and NBC. There wasn't Fox. Fox didn't exist when I was a kid. There was no CW. There weren't other options. There was no Netflix. There was, there was no internet when I was a kid. Well, there was an internet. It just wasn't the way it is now. Now, I happened to live close enough to New York City, so we also had what were called local stations that ran shows in syndication. And we had three major local stations, WNEW, which was Channel 5 for us, WPIX, which was Channel 11 for us, and WOR, which was Channel 9 for us. So we essentially had six TV stations to watch. And because you only had six TV stations and three major networks... Watching television was essentially appointment TV because we didn't have DVRs, we didn't have VCRs, we didn't have any way to record a show, we didn't have a way to re-watch a show if you missed it. So if you wanted to see, for instance, Happy Days on Tuesday night, you had to be sitting at your TV at 8 o'clock on Tuesday night. And if you didn't see it, you missed the episode and there was no way to see it again unless it happened to come around in summer reruns. What are summer reruns, you say? Well, you all know that they rerun shows, of course. But back in the day, the TV seasons were very, very different. A TV season when I was a kid for a major network show was anywhere between 25 and 35 episodes. And if you look at some of the old shows, like Gomer Pyle, for instance, you could see they would put out 35 episodes in a season. Now, we all know there's 52 weeks in a year, so they put out a new episode for more than half the year, and you would get 35 episodes of Gomer Pyle in the season. And then for the summer, they would just rerun some of those episodes to carry it over to the next season. And seasons always started in September. I don't know why, but the new fall season started in September. I figure it's because summer is over and the kids are back at school and everybody's back into a regular routine. I've never really researched it. I just assumed that was the the way they did it. And it makes a certain amount of sense. But summer was always rerun time. So if you happened to miss that episode on Tuesday night of Happy Days, you would cross your fingers and hope they ran it in summer reruns so you could catch it again. Or you'd have to talk to your friends about it. What happened? What happened? What happened? There was no way to catch up on shows. So you just had to watch the show when it was aired. 
So TV became very habitual. If you wanted to see your shows, you had to have your schedule set. You knew Tuesday nights was Happy Days. Wednesday night was Starsky and Hutch. Thursday night was Barney Miller. It's funny, I still remember certain of the schedules because they were in my head. I Oh, I watched that show. Yep. And it started at this time and that day. And that's when we watched it. And you made it a habit. That's just the way it worked. Now, the local stations would run older shows in syndication, just like they do now. I mean, the older shows now in syndications are ones that I was watching when they were first run. But when I was a kid, they would run things like Andy Griffith. The Andy Griffith show was on in the 60s, and uh, they were running it in syndication in the 70s. Actually, they're still running it in syndication if you look in the right places. And they would run things like The Brady Bunch and The Munsters and The Addams Family. Uh, Those were all the shows that were on in the afternoons or in that early evening slot between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. before the network show started. So you could catch episodes of Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. Those were all the syndicated shows that we watched. And they would just run those all day long to fill in the schedule. They didn't have a lot of new programming in the afternoon. There was no talk shows. There was no The Talk or Oprah or Ellen. Those didn't come out until the 70s and the 80s, and even those are not the early ones. Phil Donahue was one of the early talk shows, and they were so boring. Oh, I didn't watch those. Sally Jesse Raphael. She was another one of the early talk show hosts. Go Google her if you want to see somebody with some really big glasses. But she was a big voice on daytime TV. But that's something they started running instead of syndicated reruns in the hopes of getting bigger ratings and bigger advertiser dollars. And we kids, didn't, we didn't care about that. Oh, who cares about Phil Donahue? Big deal. But watching syndicated shows like Gilligan's Island or I Dream of Genie, that's where we learned about the early 60s TV shows and where we learned about basic sitcom premises and the setup and the joke and the dumb parents and the smart kids and all that kind of thing. That's where it all started, and a lot of sitcoms these days follow the template that was set back then. So during the days, we would watch our syndicated shows, and then in the evenings, when the major network shows started at 8 o'clock, that's when we would settle down and watch our regular shows. And the regular shows is the stuff that we would always sink our teeth in, because that was the new stuff. You got the new entertainment, the new story, the new comedy, whatever it was, that's what we sat down to watch. And just as you watch Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead these days, if you wanted to sit down and see what was happening with Jim Rockford on The Rockford Files, you had to be there on Friday night at nine o'clock. You couldn't tape it. You couldn't watch it in rerun until the summer. So if you wanted to see what Rockford was up to this week, you had to be there. And that was the same with every show there was. I know that sounds like a weird concept now, but that's the way television was. It was appointment TV. As NBC coined the phrase, must-see TV. Every night was must-see TV. You didn't want to miss the day your show was on if you had a particular show you were following. So you made sure to set the time aside. Nowadays, you know, you can DVR a show and you can binge watch it. You can buy it on DVD almost the second it comes out. You can watch it on demand. Not only that, the early shows, like I said, 25, 30, 35 episodes. Nowadays, 10, maybe 12 episodes is a season. And you have to make those 10 or 12 episodes last so that you can enjoy your season for 10 hours. By comparison, one of my favorite shows of all time is The West Wing. And they would have 20 to 25 episodes in a season, depending on the season, and they lasted for seven seasons. If you have Game of Thrones going into season seven, you only have about 70 episodes. For West Wing, I have 140 episodes that I can enjoy because of the number of episodes in a season. 
And they put those out every week. And that's the same way it was with every show. MASH, All in the Family, Maud, Rockford. All of these shows put out 25 episodes at a time. And 25 episodes at a time, that's a lot of episodes. That takes you through half the year. Then you make way for the holiday specials and a few reruns, and all of a sudden you're back at the beginning of the year again, which is in September, and they start the new season. And it was like clockwork every year. That's what we got used to. Now, I said the time that I was watching TV, 70s, 80s, that was my golden age. Well, it was that period of time where TV changed, too. Because if you look at the older shows like Father Knows Best or I Love Lucy or Make Way for Daddy or any of those old shows, you see it was very, very conservative. That's the best way to put it. Married couples had twin beds. Even though they were married with three kids, they had twin beds. You weren't allowed to show a couple on TV in the same bed. It's just the way that standards and practices operated back then. The 50s and the 60s, we were all pure. (laughs) We were all pure and virginal. That's the way it was. Even if you had three kids, you still never shared a bed. But in the 70s, that stuff started changing. You could actually put couples in the same bed. I remember to this day how huge it was when on All in the Family they made a joke focused on a toilet flushing. If you look at the old sitcoms, you never saw bathrooms. You never saw a scene in a bathroom. You never saw anybody talk about a bathroom. So when they had a toilet flushing sound effect on All in the Family and had jokes focusing around it, that was a huge breakthrough. You couldn't even say bathroom or toilet on TV. One of the earliest references was in the 60s, and I wasn't there for it, I just read about it, when I think it was Jack Parr on The Tonight Show called it a water closet. Water closet was offensive, but water closet is what they used to call the bathroom so that they could say it on TV, except you couldn't say that on TV. So to go from a society where saying water closet was offensive to having a toilet flushing sound effect, that was a huge breakthrough in TV. It sounds like nothing to us today. But back in the 70s, having that sound... People were shocked and offended, and some of us found it hysterical, like me. One of the other breakthroughs that happened in the 70s, Three's Company. I'm sure you've seen the reruns on Antenna TV or MeTV or any of the old TV shows. You can find it on TNT and various of the other outlets that are available. But Three's Company, at the time that it came out, was groundbreaking. For those who don't know, Three's Company starred John Ritter, Suzanne Somers, and Joyce DeWitt as roommates sharing an apartment. Well, that sounds harmless enough, right? Back in the 70s, guys did not share apartments with girls. It just didn't happen. It was scandalous. People were in an uproar when the premise for that show was released. Yeah, we got a guy sharing an apartment with two girls. It was horrible. You couldn't think of that. It was, oh my God, what, are our, what, what will happen to our children? What? Oh, oh. People were in a tizzy about it. It was unbelievable how much press that show got when it first came out. Now, they passed it off and they were able to get away with it by saying that the guy who was not gay was gay. That's the only way the landlord would let them live together was if it was a gay guy living with two girls. And of course, all of the typical 1970s era jokes and misunderstandings took place because of this this premise, but that was the only way they could get away with it. But it was groundbreaking. That was huge in the day. It's funny because Mrs. Gamerdude tells me she was not allowed to watch that show. She was far too young for such a scandalous show back when it came out. But that was the attitude. The other thing that changed attitude-wise was people's view of 
for lack of a better term, sexuality. Accepting homosexuality was still 20 years away, at least back in the 70s. And even in the 90s, it it still wasn't fully accepted. For instance, Will and Grace was still kind of scandalous when that came out. But just the psychology of human sexuality itself was kind of scandalous. You didn't want to talk about, you know, people having sex or not even having sex, people having bodies. People were always covered up and suits and ties and long dresses and people just didn't show skin until the 70s. Not only then did they show skin, they showed a lot of skin. The term Daisy Dukes, for instance, comes from the Dukes of Hazard when Catherine Bach was playing Daisy Duke and she wore very, very, very high cutoff jeans. And to some, that was scandalous. Oh my God, look at all the legs she's showing. The 70s was also known as the period of what they called at the time T and A. You can fill in the blank, but you know what T and A is. And the reason that they had a lot of T and A shows is because they had a lot of women running around in either very tight shorts like Daisy Duke or with no bras. And that was a thing in the 70s. If you look at a lot of the shows in the 70s, for some reason, the brassiere industry went out of business in the 1970s because there were very few bras in the 70s. Now, for me, growing up a healthy young man, I was kind of pleased at this development, but there was a lot of scandal involved with a lot of shows, like Charlie's Angels, for instance. And anybody who's got that Farrah Fawcett poster on their wall from the 70s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it was huge, showing that people had bodies. Now, of course, all of this stuff mostly focused on the women being the scantily clad ones, because they were trying to sell advertising to the men. So they would show a scene of Charlie's Angels and all the men at the advertising meetings would be, good, sign me up. And it didn't help to have that as the way to attract viewers because the advertisers are going for one audience, the average white American male. That was the way it was back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And yeah, now too, but thank God to a lesser extent. But that's what was selling back in the 70s. And this was all new because if you look back At the 1960s, only 10 years before, there was a huge scandal when Barbara Eden on I Dream of Genie was showing her navel in her genie outfit. You couldn't show belly buttons on TV. Oh my God. Can you imagine something so shocking as showing a lady's belly button? That was the attitude. Fast forward 10 years and you've got Charlie's Angels running around in bikinis. It's a very different world. And it was all breakthrough TV back in the 70s. And the 70s is where... I first fell in love with some shows, and I there was a bunch of shows that I fell in love with. There were so many shows back in the 70s, but I developed my favorites. There were shows that just spoke to me what I needed, what I wanted, what I was looking for at the time. And if you remember other episodes of the podcast, don't forget, this is the time where I'm, I'm the outcast in high school, very few friends, overweight, never went anywhere. So my escape, if it wasn't in my books, if it wasn't in my games, it was in my TV shows. My number one TV show from the 70s was Starsky and Hutch. I loved Starsky and Hutch. I loved the friendship they had. I loved the police work. I loved the camaraderie between all of the players in the show. I loved the Candy Apple Red Torino, which to this day I would love to get my hands on one of those because that Torino, the sound it made, the look it had, oh, the whole thing, everything in Starsky and Hutch spoke to me at the time that it came out. And for me, that was my must-see, never-miss-an-episode show. And I never did. I never missed an episode of that. Not that I had a chance to miss it. I was not going anywhere. I was a young kid at the time. But I made sure to watch that show. That was my show. 
And yes, I own all four seasons on DVD. <laughs> I had to buy it. And yes, it does bring back memories. But as I rewatch Starsky and Hutch, I do look at the plots and I go, God, this is stupid. Because a lot of the plots were kind of dumb. But for young teenage me, I wasn't worried about that. It was two cool guys in a cool car doing cool things. That was my go-to show back in the day. Now, my second go-to show, for entirely different reasons, was Charlie's Angels. Now, you had three very attractive women running around in various settings, sometimes scantily clad, sometimes not, but they were just beautiful to look at no matter what they were wearing. You had, you had Farrah Fawcett, you had Jacqueline Smith, and you had Kate Jackson. That was the original three. They substituted in Cheryl Ladd when Farrah Fawcett decided she wanted more money and couldn't get it because they wouldn't pay her, so they aced her out and brought in Cheryl Ladd. But they always had Kate Jackson, and they always had Jacqueline Smith. But the first season was the one with Farrah Fawcett, and that's where I started watching that show for purely entertainment purposes, of course. Now, everybody back in the day fell in love with Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett, the smiling blonde, she was the face of the show. She had the big teeth, and she had the big smile, and she had the big personality. So they focused a lot on Farrah for the advertising of the show. And Pharaoh was beautiful, no question about it. But I was always partial to the other two. I preferred Jacqueline Smith and Kate Jackson to Farrah Fawcett. That was my taste. And I was in love with Kate Jackson. I loved Kate Jackson. She was... <laughs> and, I'm, and now I'm talking about her now as if she was a real person. But I loved Sabrina. That was her character. I loved Sabrina because she was smart. She got stuff done. She knew what she was doing. And she was gorgeous to the teenage me and to me now she was the bomb kate jackson was my angel and everybody said how could you like kate jackson look at the other because kate jackson is kate jackson how could you question kate jackson i loved kate jackson i love kate jackson to this day she is one of my favorites of all time she did other shows and she did other movies but i will always remember kate jackson when i met her first in charlie's angels other appointment TV for me was Fantasy Island, because Ricardo Montalban, who was Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island, was so cool. And there was always this dark, evil mystery about him. I say evil because there was something that was not entirely angelic about what he was doing. He was like the genie who would give you a wish, but he would take you so literally that your wish would not be exactly what you wanted but probably what you deserved. And that's what happened on Fantasy Island a lot. I loved Fantasy Island. I loved Mr. Rourke. I loved Tattoo, the little, the little small person who helped uh, Mr. Rourke on the island. Again, I've seen it in rerun, and it's not quite the way I remember it. But boy, in the day, that was the show that was great for Saturday nights. And yes, I do remember it was Saturday nights, 10 p.m., watch Fantasy Island, and I was there for it. So that's my top three go-to shows back in the 70s. I'm going to give you the top five. Number four was Happy Days. Happy Days I watched because my mom loved Happy Days. Happy Days depicted the 50s. And I didn't know anything about the 50s. It was long before my time. Yes, it really was. And it was something that my mom really liked. So we watched that and she loved everything that was going on. And you had, you had the Cunningham family. You had Arnold's 
uh, Arnold's Restaurant, and you had um, the Fonz, of course, Henry Winkler, who did a great job with that role. So we watched Happy Days, and I didn't love Happy Days. I didn't hate Happy Days, but it is so stuck in my memory because we watched it every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. And again, another one of those schedule things that stuck in my head forever. Tuesday nights, 8 o'clock, Happy Days. That's just what we did. So we gathered around the TV for Happy Days. But the top fifth show on my list of go-to shows from the 70s was one that I really loved. And I really loved One Day at a Time. The original One Day at a Time. They've remade it recently with a different tone and a different tenor. I haven't seen the new version, but I loved the old version. Not because I liked the plots. The plots were, eh, you know, I didn't care. There were two things that I liked about One Day at a Time. And for young teenage hormonal me, there were two people that I was focused on. I loved Bonnie Franklin. I thought she was super attractive. But it was Valerie Bertinelli. And I love Valerie Bertinelli. Oh, my God. Because she was kind of close in age to me. And I thought, wow, if I actually met her, this could happen. Because that's the way my young teenage hormonal mind was working in those days. Valerie Bertinelli could, could possibly be someone I could meet. And then we would fall in love. And then, oh, it would be awesome. She's so cool. Yeah, that's the way my mind worked. I'm not going to lie. When you're young and, and, and lonely and looking for love in any place you can find it, You'll find it on TV. So yes, I, I, spent, I spent Tuesday nights watching Valerie Bertinelli on One Day at a Time and just being in lust. I don't remember any of the plots. I just remember watching Valerie Bertinelli. But that's why I loved One Day at a Time. That was my show. Now, there are so many other shows from the 70s that I watched. Oh, my God. There was Rockford Files and Barney Miller and WKRP in Cincinnati. And we were focused on TV because if you wanted entertainment in the evenings and you weren't reading a book, you were watching TV. And so I watched everything. But those are the top five that stick out in my head. But one of the things that I learned from watching all that TV and one of the things that I developed, and this is where my little rant is going to come in now, because you know I always put these rants in these random episodes that I do, is my five-season rant. I've said this before, and if, if you've heard this, forgive me for repeating it, but I firmly believe that most TV shows should end at five seasons. If you're going to do a sixth, okay, you can probably get away with the sixth season. But then you should plan your season finale for the end of six. Because once you get past five, you start running out of story ideas, you start rehashing things, you start getting ridiculous with some of your plot devices. Just stop. Because I can't think of too many shows that last past five seasons and still hold up. There are exceptions. Law and Order, for instance, went on for many years. The West Wing had seven really strong seasons. Gunsmoke lasted forever. But if you look at a show like Happy Days, where Fonzie jumps the shark, that's where the phrase jumps the shark comes from. It was an episode of Happy Days where Fonzie is actually water skiing and jumps a shark. That's when the show gets stupid. That's what that phrase means. When the show gets stupid, when it's so ridiculous, they're doing things like having Fonzie in a leather jacket jump a shark on water skis, you know you've overstayed your welcome. Friends was like that. I loved Friends in the 90s. Friends, the first five seasons were hysterical. But starting around season six and moving on through seven and eight and nine and ten, it just got tired. I know people love all ten seasons, but if you're honest with yourself and you look at all 10 seasons, the first five are the only ones that hold up. Now, the five-season rule can be flexible depending on cast changes, location changes, story changes. You can refresh a series by doing that. That's why Law & Order went on, because there were several cast changes. They changed detectives. They changed DAs. 
The West Wing, they added characters and they put in different premises for the plot to follow. But if you're sticking with the same, in the case of Friends, six characters doing the same thing, just different variations on a theme, you're going to be done after five seasons. One of my other all-time favorite shows, Castle, is a prime example of this. The first five seasons, boom, on point. Loved that show. Loved everything about it. Season six, season seven, season eight. You start getting tired. You start getting bored. You start going off on a limb where you shouldn't take the characters. And that's what happened with Castle. So if you're going to do a show, remember the five-season rule. Do your show. Plot it out for five seasons, have your series finale at the end of season five, boom, classic TV series. Now, I welcome your comments on this or your opinions. If you've got ideas, if you've got shows that you think were strong after five seasons, let me know. Send me a direct message on Twitter at ReallyGamerDude. Whisper me on Twitch. Throw a comment up on the website for the podcast. I'll be happy to discuss it with you. I love talking this stuff. But yeah, five seasons, that's it. And the truth is, most good shows do end at about season five. Look at Breaking Bad. One of the best shows around. Five seasons. Can you tell I've watched a little TV in my life? Yeah, just a little. Anyway, those are my shows from the 70s that I like. I love shows from the 80s. I love shows from the 90s. I love shows from the 2000s. Yeah, I've been watching shows for a long time. And I'll be happy to talk to you about any of them. But I wanted to tell you about the shows that made an impression on me when I was most impressionable. And those top five shows that I gave you earlier, those are my go-to shows. At least as far as leaving an impression on me. Now, would I sit down and watch Starsky and Hutch again from front to back, from beginning to end, all four seasons? Uh, no. I've watched episodes of Starsky. I'll watch an episode or two. I'll throw the DVD in as background noise. But could I sit and stomach two or three episodes of Starsky in a row? Mm, Not so much. Charlie's Angels, same thing. I'll watch an episode here or there. But as for watching it for plot or interesting things happening or story development, mm, not so much. Happy days I don't even watch anymore. And one day at a time, I've seen it in rerun and I go, oh yeah, I remember why I watched that. I wouldn't watch it again. But they do bring back memories. And that's why I wanted to share them with you. That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for tuning in yet again. I do appreciate all your support. I appreciate that you take the time to listen. And I appreciate you hanging out with me and sharing these stories. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.